Welcome to the Nutrition Facts Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Michael Greger. I'm thrilled that you've decided to join me today because the more I learn about the latest in nutrition research, the more convinced I am that this information can make a real difference in all our lives. And I like nothing better than sharing it with you. I've been looking into the research on cannabis lately. There's a lot of it out there. In our first story, uh, we examined the evidence that regular cannabis smoking causes acute lung inflammation. Uh, but what are the long-term consequences? There is unequivocal evidence that habitual or regular marijuana smoking is not harmless and causes respiratory symptoms and airway inflammation. If you take biopsies from the airways of those who smoke crack, cannabis, or tobacco, uh, compared to non-smokers, there was significantly more damage in the lungs of crack smokers, marijuana smokers, and tobacco smokers. And the levels of damage seems comparable, uh, especially between the marijuana smokers and tobacco smokers, which is remarkable since the tobacco smokers were smoking about a pack a day, whereas the marijuana smokers were only smoking about 20 joints a week rather than 25 cigarettes a day and those smoking crack were just doing like a gram or two a week. So to see similar rates of damage between marijuana smokers and cigarette smokers suggests each joint is way worse than each cigarette. And indeed, we've known for 30 years that smoking three or four joints is the equivalent of smoking a pack a day of cigarettes in terms of bronchitis symptoms and acute lung damage. How is that possible? Uh, well, maybe the way they're smoked. Uh, pot smokers inhale more deeply and then hold the smoke in four times longer, resulting in more tar deposition in the lungs. And joints are more loosely packed and unfiltered, uh, resulting in both hotter smoke and smokier smoke. And so even though in many ways smoke is smoke, the different method of smoking may explain how a few joints a day appear to cause as much inflammation as an entire pack a day of cigarettes. The visual evidence of airway injury was at times striking. And what's crazy is that's just five joints a day compared to 26 cigarettes a day in the tobacco smokers. If you compare the respiratory symptoms associated with marijuana versus tobacco, compared to non-smokers, both marijuana smokers and tobacco smokers have elevated rates of chronic cough and excess sputum production, acute episodes of bronchitis, and wheezing. Now, when you quit tobacco, these respiratory symptoms eventually go away. Does the same thing happen with marijuana? What are the effects of quitting cannabis on respiratory symptoms? About 30 to 40% of regular cannabis users suffer from cough, excess sputum, wheezing, and shortness of breath. A thousand young adults were followed for years, and those who kept smoking, their respiratory symptoms got worse or remained the same, but those that quit tended to get better. If we don't quit, what are the long-term lung consequences? What about COPD, chronic obstructive pulmonary diseases like emphysema? Even if smoking a single joint compromises lung function as much as up to five cigarettes, you're still smoking 15 times less overall, and so should end up with less long-term lung damage, right? 
That's indeed what's been found. Even long-term pot smokers don't appear to suffer lasting lung damage. Follow people for 20 years, an occasional joint appears to have no discernible effect on long-term lung function. Uh, though maybe some accelerated decline in function among those smoking joints every day for decades, and so marijuana moderation is suggested. In other words, a caution against regular heavy marijuana usage is prudent, but even regular heavy use of marijuana is nothing compared with the grave pulmonary consequences of tobacco. Any toxicity of marijuana pales when compared with the greatest legalized killer in the world today. In fact, the greatest risk to our lungs from marijuana may be that it can be a gateway drug to cigarettes. Cannabis vapor has less tar, but may contain more ammonia. What happens to respiratory symptoms when regular users of joints, blunts, pipes, and bongs switch to a vaporizer? There are many ways people inhale marijuana. Most people smoke it, either in a bowl, pipe, joint, or bong. Uh, this is concerning, since in many ways smoke is smoke, and using a bong doesn't help in terms of the tar exposure. Uh, where there's fire, there's smoke, and where there's smoke, there's inflammatory irritants. In fact, the regular smoking of cannabis is associated with the kind of airway inflammation you see in the lungs of cigarette smokers, which can result in prolonged respiratory symptoms such as chronic coughing, excess sputum production, wheezing, and shortness of breath, as well as an increased incidence of bronchitis and other respiratory infection. In many ways, smoke is smoke, whether it's from burning plants in a forest fire or burning plants in a joint or cigarette. There are harmful byproducts of combustion, any combustion, like carbon monoxide. In fact, you get five times more carbon monoxide per puff in cannabis than tobacco, since pot smokers inhale more deeply and then hold the smoke in. Now, you can avoid that completely by eating cannabis instead, but the slow erratic drug absorption doesn't give the same kind of immediate high. Inhaling cannabis vapor, however, could potentially offer the best of both worlds, giving the same kind of high in terms of subjective ratings compared to smoking it, but with significantly less carbon monoxide exposure. So similar effects with fewer toxic byproducts, though not necessarily all toxic byproducts. Both cannabis smoke and just vapor can evidently contain high concentrations of ammonia, and sometimes vapor can be even worse. So yeah, vapor has less tar, but may have more ammonia. This was with a direct heat vaporizer, the so-called Blue Meanie. Using a hot air vaporizer, like the Volcano brand, uh, results in ammonia levels in your bloodstream more comparable to smoking it. Uh, but the only reason we care about contaminants is we're trying to cut down on the inflammation. Does cannabis vapor produce fewer respiratory symptoms than smoke? According to this study, the first of its kind, yes. Now, vaporizing doesn't help with dependence issues or impaired driving or brain damage among heavy adolescent users but may improve cannabis drug safety by minimizing lung troubles. They conclude that regular users of joints, blunts, pipes, and water pipes might decrease respiratory symptoms by switching to a vaporizer. But this was just based on a snapshot-in-time internet survey asking people about their symptoms. You don't know for sure 
until you put it to the test. In a study funded by a pro-legalization group, they recognized that respiratory symptoms are a stumbling block in their efforts, so suggest inhaling cannabis vapor rather than smoke might minimize respiratory complaints. So they had 20 frequent cannabis smokers with respiratory symptoms switch over to using a vaporizer instead for a month, and those that didn't happen to fall ill with respiratory illness during that period experienced a significant improvement in their respiratory symptoms. But wait a second, 8 out of 20? 40% got a respiratory illness within a single month? That doesn't sound good. And indeed, it's something they noted. Additionally, the self-reported improvements may have been tinged with bias, as smokers might think such results might be good for the cause. This may have backfired, though, as there are calls in the medical literature to just legalize smokeless forms, or at least set it up so that smoked marijuana is more heavily taxed or something. In our final story, we discover how there are some serious public health concerns about the legalization of marijuana, but they're probably not what you might expect. Opinions on marijuana legalization range from regarding it as a landmark human rights advance to one of a disastrous anarchic profiteering sham. Uh, most may agree, though, that the trillion-dollar war on weed has been a failed policy a vehicle for the hideous expression of our racism, diverting law enforcement resources away from violent crime, and yet having no appreciable effect on marijuana availability. Yes, legalization might free up law enforcement, but opponents argue that legalization may increase marijuana use among the youth, not because they couldn't get it before, but because it'll be cheaper and more socially acceptable. In other words, the argument goes, think about the children. So what happened in states like Washington and Colorado after they legalized marijuana? Among teens in Washington state, perceived harmfulness indeed went down, and marijuana use went up, doubling from 2 to 4 percent. In contrast, no change in Colorado, but presumably that's because they had five years of commercialized medical marijuana before recreational use became legal, and indeed with the original liberalization in Colorado, perceptions of risk among teens dropped more than elsewhere, and rates of dependence went up. A frequently cited concern with legalization is that it would allow the rise of big cannabis, similar to big tobacco and big alcohol. After the cannabis industry successfully beat back pesticide regulations in Colorado, public health advocates experienced a feeling of déjà vu, trying to mitigate the adverse public health consequences in the face of an industry that just aims to maximize profit. The biggest concern, though, may not be big cannabis turning into big tobacco, but rather big tobacco turning into big cannabis. Marijuana legalization advocates may not have considered the potential effects of the multinational tobacco companies entering the market. Internal memos show that big tobacco have just been waiting in the wings for the right time to strike. The fact that they created perhaps the leading cause of preventable death in the world shows how much they care about people compared to profits. Uh, so that should raise some red flags. Uh, big Tobacco is expected to profit from legalization whether or not it takes over, though, as frequent cannabis use is a predictor of future cigarette addiction. 
For teen non-smokers, weekly cannabis use predicted a more than eightfold increase in the odds of moving from just joints to cigarettes. This may be because tobacco is commonly mixed with cannabis to help it burn more smoothly. Thus, cannabis use may indirectly expose one to tobacco, which may be seven or times more addictive than cannabis. Or it may just be that teens who smoke marijuana are hanging out more with a crowd that tends to smoke more cigarettes, and that's the reason. Though even after controlling for pure use, cannabis does still seem to be a gateway drug to tobacco perhaps as a way to deal with cannabis withdrawal. Either way, one of the most potentially harmful effects of cannabis is that it may lead to nicotine addiction, which wipes out nearly 5 million lives every year, about 24 times more than all illegal drugs combined. We would love it if you could share with us your stories about reinventing your health through evidence-based nutrition. Go to nutritionfacts.org forward slash testimonials. We may share it with our social media to help inspire others. To see any graphs, charts, graphics, images, or studies mentioned here, please go to the Nutrition Facts podcast landing page. There you'll find all the detailed information you need, plus links to all the sources we cite for each of these topics. Be sure to check out my new How Not to Die cookbook. It's beautifully designed with more than 100 recipes for delicious and nutritious plant-based meals, snacks, and beverages. All proceeds I receive from the sale of all my books goes to charity. NutritionFacts.org is a non-profit science-based public service where you can sign up for free daily updates on the latest in nutrition research via bite-sized videos and articles. Everything on the website is free. There's no ads, no corporate sponsorship. It's strictly non-commercial. not selling anything. Just put it up as a public service, as a labor of love, as a tribute to my grandmother, whose own life was saved with evidence-based nutrition. Thanks for listening to Nutrition Facts. I'm your host, Dr. Michael Greger.